Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. So what can you expect from the Mike Litton Experience? You can expect stories that will inspire, motivate, advice that will sharpen your focus, and expert information on real estate, finance, and market conditions. Barry LaBeouf, thank you so much for being our guest on the Mike Litton Experience. I cannot thank you enough. You are one of the most highly accomplished guests we've had on our show, and I'm incredibly honored to be on with you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I love your show. And I love the name, the Mike Litton Experience, because it reminds me of my music days of the Jimi Hendrix Experience. So Ooh, I, love I think it. it's a great idea. Oh, I love it. We're going to have to break out the electric guitars. I don't know how to play, but I love I love his guitar. Oh, Jimi yeah. Hendrix is just the man. Oh, yeah. The man. I, I just love that. Okay. So like we talked about before we hit record, everybody has a story. And our passion is to help them tell it. So with your permission, we'll start with where you were born, go all the way up to today, and then we can talk about anything you'd like to talk about. I'd love to talk about your book that's coming out uh, about differentiation and, and anything else that you're working on. And, any, you know, knowing you, you're probably working on 17 different things at once. Um, so is it okay if we just start with where you were born? I'd love it. Yeah, I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Ooh. and I have been a Philadelphia Phillies and Eagles uh, and 76 or sports fans since I was a little kid. Oh. Um, when I was, uh, so I was born in the, the mid 1950s. Uh, my parents were uh, middle class folks. My dad uh, was an engineer. My mom was a stay home mom and then was a bookkeeper. Um, super hardworking people. Uh, so I grew up in an environment where you got to work hard, you got to go, 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 work hard, work hard, be a good boy, all that kind of stuff. As I was um, being brought up, my dad at first wanted me, and that sounds a little weird, but he wanted me to be a genius. So he worked on me being a genius. So he taught me algebra when I was three years old. So I was a little three-year-old kid, uh, figuring out algebra equations and stuff like that. And I, love it. I have to tell you, it sounds bizarre and it sounds like I'm bragging. I'm not bragging at all on it. I, I loved it. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. For some reason, it was fun to do algebra because you could kind of figure out if you were right or wrong to the point where I really got into that. And I was in sixth grade one day and my teacher said, hey, what's uh, two plus two? Barry and I said well it depends what x is <laughs> and she said well what do you mean what about x and I said x is the unknown right and she said who's been teaching you algebra my <laughs> I, my response was well my dad is and she said you're kicked out of this school until your parents understand they can't do this to you anymore wow and I thought that was interesting so I was kicked out of school because I was doing algebra which oh, sounds funny goodness. Yeah, but it was interesting because it was a great lesson. It showed me that, number one, I was able to understand it. Yeah. The rest of my school years 
math and algebra were easy as could be. And I loved it. So I grew up kind of thinking about those things. Um, I then um, realized that I really loved sports, but I, um, I never was very good at sports. And uh, so I really loved baseball. It was my first love as a kid. So at a certain point, um, I realized I wasn't very good at baseball. And they found out that I had a lazy eye, you know, the lazy eye you have. So they gave me an operation. And what's interesting is I never understood this until I was 50 years old. But when they do that operation, you lose most of your depth perception. I didn't know that. Wow. So for the rest of my life after that, I was a really terrible baseball player. I couldn't hit the ball. Yeah. Well, because I had no depth perception. Right. And in That's golf, really hard. It really is. And in golf, it was kind of frustrating, too, because putting, I had to figure out how to putt without having depth perception. Yeah. But anyway, as I was growing up, I got into music uh, very heavily as a as a young person and music and math are very connected so i didn't realize that but they were and i started out in clarinet and i thought that was a boring instrument i wanted to do rock music because of the beatles right so i learned how to play drums but i thought that was it, it wasn't melodic enough i wanted to create mike i wanted to do something creative yeah. so um I got into a band with my younger brother. He played guitar. I played drums, but you know, drums and guitar, it's kind of ugly sounding, yeah. you know? And I said, well, we need, we need an organ. So mm -hmm. my dad bought me a cheap little organ and I played drums and organ at the same time, which is bizarre. Wow. And I sang. So I was singing, writing songs, playing drums and having, and playing the organ with my right hand in the band. Um, it did not sound great. I can tell you, I've heard recordings of it. I can't, I can't even imagine. I mean, how many hands do you have, right? Yeah. You know, it was, I was really trying to do something creative. And so I as it. I went on and got, and I was just in my mid teens at teens at that point yeah. and then started to pursue a music career. And that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I was writing songs, um, I was in bands. I was the young guy in bands. So I'd be 15, 16, and I became the leader of bands. And these guys, Mike, they were old. I mean, they were 18, 19 years old. And wow. they're taking orders from this 15-year-old kid. Crazy. And um, so I learned how to do recording. I wrote songs and um, kept pursuing this. And then uh, met a girl in college who I married, my wife, Carol. And she supported me. And I said, I really want to do music. I want to write songs. And she started writing lyrics with me. Wow. And um, for our honeymoon, I said, you know, I'd really like to go to New York City and try to, you know, get our songs published. And she said, that's okay. Let's do it. I said, for our honeymoon? She said, yeah. So on our honeymoon, we went to New York and we pounded the pavements. And I'll tell the the, the listeners, when I say pounded the pavements, we would have 40, four, zero, 40 appointments in a week. They were generally a half an hour. And we would be literally running from one part of Manhattan to another yeah. uh, for the entire week on an hourly basis, trying to get songs published. Wow. And wow. I'll tell your listeners, here's a story that I think is really inspiring. 
because you always think you've got to you got to get people to agree that what you're doing is great. And and if somebody says you're doing something and it's not good, you feel terrible. So one of the real hallmark moments of my life was uh, we were getting ready to go to New York again to, to try to get our songs published, you know, by some of these famous people. And a person said, hey, I know the publisher who worked with the Beatles. Wow. And I can get you an appointment with him. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. So I set up my 40-ish appointments and his appointment was the very first day on a Monday. Yeah. So my wife and I got in that weekend, got ready for it, got up early. It was raining in New York City, which is not good. People are in a bad mood. <laughs> We got in a taxi and we were driven to his office because we had to get in a taxi because his office was in a really, really remote part of New York uh, City. And we got out and the, and the building looked dilapidated. It looked like it was almost bombed in the war. I mean, it looked really bad, beaten up. And so we go in, walk up the steps because the elevator didn't work there. Yeah. And his name was uh, his name was George Pincus. And I could smell the the stench of a cigar as we're walking up, knocked on the door, and a woman came to the door. She kind of looked like a nurse. She was all dressed in white. And I said, I'm here to see George. And she said, Okay. And I had been so excited. My my wife and I had worked on these songs, and I had begged my friends to play for free on these songs because, you know, we you know we're going to get these songs published, and George Pincus and all this. Right. And so out comes this man, and he was probably in his sixties or seventies, tiny little guy smoking a cigar, and he said, "Okay, give me your give me your tape." So it was a cassette tape. That's how right. long ago this was. Yeah. And many of your listeners won't even know what a cassette tape is, but many it was just something. You could... <laughs> but he took it and he pressed play. And within 10 seconds before the singing would begin, he fast forwarded to the next song. And I thought, oh, my gosh. And then the next song started and that my hopes were high. And within 10 seconds, he fast forwarded to the next song. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. Wow. Next song did the same thing. Listen to the fourth song, listen to like 20 seconds, stopped the tape, popped it out, handed it to me. He said, kid, you have no talent. I said, what? Oh because you have no talent. He said, give it up. You're never going to make it. You have no creativity. Oh. And I was crushed. Yeah, yeah. And I literally, they didn't have to open the door, Mike. I could have walked under the door. I felt so small. Yeah, let me slither right. out. <laughs> right, it was horrible. Oh. And I remember as I'm walking down the steps and my wife's right next to me and I'm thinking, okay, how fast can I move or fly back to Indiana where we lived? How fast can we just leave right now? Because obviously I'm no, I have no talent. Right. And so I'm standing out, we're, we're looking for a taxi. And I said to my wife, I said, well, we, we got to leave. We got to go back home. And my wife looked to me and she said, why? I said, well, George Pinkus says, I have no talent, honey. Right. I, I'm washed up. I'm useless. 
Right. And she said, oh, come on, silly. He's just one person. Who cares? I said, well, I had 40 other appointments. I said, we got to cancel these. She said, no, let's go to them. And number one, I realized how lucky I was to have her as my wife. No kidding. And I thought, okay, now this is something that for your listeners, I, I, I have, and this is exactly the truth. This is not even abridged or tweaked to make the story sound good. We then got in the cab and we were dropped off in Manhattan at Billy Joel's publishing company. Wow. And we had an appointment there and I walked in, I was still depressed from being told I have no talent. Right. And the guy welcomed me in and he listened to the songs all the way through without fast forwarding. Wow. And I, I then got up and I said, thank you. Thanks for the time. And he said, wait a minute, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I appreciate you listening to my music. And the guy says, why are you like this? He said, I, I think there's some really good songs in here. Ooh. I said, really? He said, well, who have you been talking to? And I said, well, I talked to George Pincus and he said, I have no talent. And he said, ah, oh, he says that to everybody, Barry. Why are you listening to a guy like him? <laughs> and I said, well, he published the Beatles. And he said, no, nah, he didn't publish the Beatles. He stole a couple of their songs and he got in trouble for it. I went, oh. oh. And I said, okay. And he said, I want to publish one of your songs. I love it. Now, here's the reality for everyone. The first person told me I had no talent. Second right. person published the song. The next 38, 39 of them were nice appointments, but I got nothing for it. Yeah. So I learned that, you know what? I have to believe in myself and it's a numbers game sometimes, yep. but you don't give up. Yeah. And you're so, going to, there are times you're going to get crushed, right? That feeling from when George Pincus said that had to have been just crushing to you. And, you had, and yet you walk outside, you're ready to cancel everything, go home, right? Because obviously it's your your career's over. And your wife is like, no, he's one person. We're not gonna, we're not gonna quit based on one person, right? The very next one, had you quit, that would have never been published. The very next one publishes a song of yours. I mean, that is such an amazing story. I love that. And, and it's inspiring because it's like, hey, you do your best, you meet with people, and sometimes it's not going to work. Yeah. Well, so what? Yeah. Move on. Yeah. You know what? It's it's okay. So what happened was I, I carried on in my music business. I ran a jingle company, you know, those irritating little ditties, and I did hundreds and hundreds of jingles. And as I went through that, I also started a rock band that was on American Bandstand um, and had uh, had music on VH1 and some other rock video uh, networks. And then at a certain point, I decided um, I wanted to um, move into a different field that was creative, which was more marketing mm -hmm. and all. Um, and it was because... I was doing these jingles and, and things like that. And a client called me and said, hey, I want to talk to you about taking over our marketing department. I want to sell our marketing department. And it was North American Band Lines, oh, which wow. was interesting. Yeah. And I said, and being a great entrepreneur, I said, no, I don't do that. I'm not, you know, I, I just do jingles and other stuff. Uh, for, one, for one year, they asked me and asked me. Really? And one, 
One day they called me up and they said, will you take over our department? We'll sell it to you and we'll, we'll give you a five-year contract to do all our work. And I said, you know, I've given you my answer, which was no. I've also given you other companies to talk to. Why do you keep coming back to me? Right. And I'll always remember this. He said, because we trust you. Yeah. And it hit me, Mike, like a ton of bricks. And I said, okay, I'll do it. And he said, okay. He said, you're now going to be in the marketing business. You're going to have an agency because we're handing this to you. Right. And from that point on, which has been 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. 30 years ago. Um, I've been running a marketing business and uh, because they believed in me. Yeah. And, uh, so what I have done after that is I've looked at how do I stand out in a crowded field where there are over 2 million marketing and advertising agencies yeah. in the world, and how do I stand out? How do I differentiate? Right. What can I do? And in that time, um, I've built out of Fort Wayne, Indiana and Dallas, Texas, a company that works with some of the greatest brands in the world, which include uh, McAllen Scotch, mm -hmm. it includes um, Audi and Mercedes. So there's drinking and driving, but not at the same time. Right. But we do <laughs> McAllen Scotch, Stoli, um, Vodka, uh, McAllen, uh, no, I mentioned them, Audi, Mercedes, Volkswagen, uh, many, many great, great companies that we've been able to work with. Yeah. Uh, Harley Davidson is an oh, example. Oh, um, and uh, so to this day, my company is uh, very, very successful in those areas. And our clients turn to us on a personal side. I have two children with my wife. One's 26. Uh, he's my boy. My daughter's 30. My son works with me at my company. Oh, that's awesome. um, uh, it's uh, and my daughter has two grand or two kids that are my grandkids and I'm uh, enjoying every single day. That's awesome. So my kids are 25 and 23. My daughter uh -huh. came to work with me a, a couple of months ago. She had been working with me for about an hour and a half, went to her mother and said, I feel like the top of my head's going to blow off. Dad's right. a lot, mom. Dad's a lot. <laughs> right? We just celebrated our 30-year wedding anniversary. And my wife's like, yes, honey, I know. <laughs> Well, I, I, I like to say my wife and I have been married since 1978. We've had 22 years of happy marriage. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, somebody who's been married as long as we have gets that joke. <laughs> right. Now, my wife never likes that. She always points to a ring and she says, you know, 40 years of service or something. <laughs> so. She's but you know, I think it's humor. I think it's all about, you know, you got to enjoy what you do okay. and you've got to feel you're making a difference and that what you do actually has significance. Yeah. Right. You, Otherwise, you know, who cares? Yeah, we had a we had a uh, we did a an interview yesterday with a gentleman and we were talking about people living their calling. You know, doing when, and that's, you know, this is an example, right? North American just would not give up having right. you take over their marketing. They just weren't going to do it because they trusted mm -hmm. you. Right. And that's, that's what's most important, right? It's 
you do the right thing, you work hard, you do what you know you've been designed to do, and everything falls into place. You go where people value you, right? Like we were talking about it yesterday. This podcast that we're doing, that we're on right now, is absolutely, I feel like, my calling. I feel like I've been prepared my entire life for this. And I'm and I'm now I'm now fulfilling that mission. I'm now I'm now you know I'm getting the word out right, and I'm helping people to promote the amazing things that they're doing. Um, and it's just it's such a it's such an amazing honor. And I I cannot thank you enough for doing this. So okay, so let's talk about you have ten books that you've written, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some of them were children's books. Mm -hmm. They look like children's books. They're uh, they're parables, yeah. Meaning they're uh, business parables. They're short stories. Um, and then the current book that I have that is uh, currently being published, it's not released yet by Simon and Schuster, is definitely not a children's book. It's a right. uh, it's a business book on differentiating yourself, your brand, uh, your products. And one thing to share that's interesting is my company for decades has worked with some really great companies, as I mentioned. And what's interesting is in the last 15 or so years, the, the world's changed. So, Mike, to, to share with you, 15 years ago, I would be sitting down with the leader of a major company and I would say, look, we can help identify or discover what makes your product or brand unique. Right. And he or she would say, great, we need that because we want to increase our market share. We want to increase profit. I go, great. And I would add, but the other benefit is that you will be able to share that with the people who build your products, service your products, sell your product, the people who work for you. Mm -hmm. And that is amazing. And 15 years ago, most of the CEOs or leaders would say, I don't care about that. I'm already paying them 15 bucks an hour, 10 bucks an hour, whatever they pay. Today, it's different. Yeah, completely. When, that's, when that CEO talks to us and we say, look, we can help you with that and we'll help you with market share. And, you know, he or she's nodding their head. And I go, and what we do is we make sure the very first people who learn what makes you different and unique is your employees. It's gonna be the people who serve and represent your brand. These CEOs literally tear up because yeah. that's even more important. And yeah. I think that's a sign of the times, but it's a good thing. Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. I mean, there's there are some things that are happening today that weren't happening 15 years ago, right? There's a lot. Right. The thing is, there's a huge amount of competition that these companies have for workers. And there's also a big push for retention, right? Because the more you can, the more you can go get, the more successful you are at getting them and then retaining them, the better your company is, period. Right. And right. so nowadays, that kind of thing is so much more important than it used to be. Back then, it was I'm I'm paying them a wage. Right. I right. paying them to do what they do. I don't care anything about that. I'm looking for the consumer today. You're selling everybody. Right. You're selling everybody, including and most importantly, the people that currently work in your organization. Yeah, I totally. You're agree. right. You're right. You know, during COVID, I believe it was 40 million people 
quit their jobs yeah. during COVID. Yeah. Okay, so 40 million people said, okay, I'm out of here. And if you think about it, if you're a person running a company, which you know many of your listeners are, it's like, oh my God, because you not only have to make sure you compete well with other brands, you got to compete well with other ways to stay and you want to bring good people in. Yeah. And it's not enough to say, hey, here's your so much an hour, right? Get your put your head down and get the work. It yeah. doesn't, I had, it's not I, the way it is anymore. Yeah, I ran two corporations for over for over 18 years. And I had a I had a bunch of people working with me. And it was a constant grind. And the constant yeah. grind was everybody and their brother were trying to come and get our people. Right. Yes. They were trying to lure them away. And it was always, you know, money and it was this and it was that. But it was they were always trying to lure them away. And what was interesting, I found later, was we had a better retention number in terms of how many people we retained that we did not lose yes. than just about anybody else in our space. And it was because we had a culture where we appreciated the people that worked for us. We cherished them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I literally, I would be one of those CEOs tearing up because it's, that's how important my people are, were to me and are to me today. I mean, they're still, we haven't been in business since 2018. Right. And a bunch of those people are coming back to me and going, Mike, you got to open up a company again. You got to yeah. do this again. And it's, I'm not going to, but they, they're asking me to, you know, right. And it's just an absolute honor for them to do that, you know. Well, you know, the thing that I think is so important is we need to have a meaning yeah. in our lives. Okay. So you think about it, if it's easy to get a job right now, then all of a sudden what you make for a living and your insurance and things like that starts to become kind of equalized everywhere. Um, so you need to feel like where you're at, you're appreciated and that you're actually doing something of value other than you're just making a little bit of money. Um, a great example is uh, we work with a really great company called Rev, R-E-V, Rev Group, and um, they make the most ambulances in, in the nation. So they make more ambulances than any other company, and they have many brands. And um, I was talking at one, uh, to one of their workers at a facility, and I said, hey, what do you do? And he said, I plug in wire harnesses. I said, Okay. I said, what else? He goes, well, sometimes I uh, tighten bolts. I said, okay. I said, how's it going? He goes, well, I'm thinking of leaving here for 25 cents an hour and going down the street to work at a marshmallow factory. I said, marshmallow factory. I said, oh, what? I said, I said, now, if you look at each one of these ambulances that you put these wire harnesses in, each one of them going down the line. And there were like 10 of them down the line, right in front of us. I said, each one lasts about 10 years. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, now during the 10 years, each year there are 4,000 accidents with ambulances in the United States because they're going through intersections and semi-tractor trailers are hitting them and cars are hitting them. Okay. I said, so they gotta be well-made. He goes, yeah. I said, now, during the 10 years, there will be about 100,000 people who are in that ambulance. So it'll be the driver, it'll be a couple of EMTs, the techs, uh, the patient, sometimes patient family. 
and all that. I said, so each one of those going down the line will have 100,000 people that are saved or protected. Mm -hmm. And he went, I never thought I was in the life-saving business, yeah. but maybe I am. Yeah. And we've got to realize that if, if you have a choice between, let's say, making marshmallows, which there's nothing wrong with that, it's great, or you go, you know what, I'm actually... I'm actually making a difference. I'm I'm making sure that 100,000 people per unit that goes down the line are protected. Right. I would suggest to you and your listeners that not only would that person be retained longer at that job, but that individual might also make sure he plugs those wire harnesses in just right. right. And he may stop the line if something gets to him that looks like it's not, you know, done right something that needs to be fixed yeah no and i totally agree with that that's that's the purpose in our lives you know yeah. that one thing he did if he made sure that was right if he stopped the line if he was allowed to and, and rev group wants you to stop the line if there's a problem he may have saved lives doing that. Oh, yeah. okay well okay you know what that makes you feel better during a day where, you know, you know, the weather was crappy or whether you hurt your back doing something, you know, it makes you feel better and it gives you some purpose in your life. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, you know, the, 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 the title of your book is The Power of Differentiation, right? Right. I truly believe that a way that people can, and I know we haven't talked about this before, so I know I'm springing this on you, but a way that people can differentiate themselves, if you don't mind, I'm, if it's okay if I tell you a real quick story. So I'm, I'm in real estate out here and I, a real estate broker, have been for 32 years and I sold a house last year for a client of mine that I had been a client for decades and I sold their house for $110,000 above list price and I presented the offer to the, to the husband, he signed it right away, presented it to the wife and she said, you know, I'm not sure I want to sell. I'm not sure I want to move, Mike. So I said, well, let's, why don't we think about, why don't we look at getting you a rental? you know, sell the house, you can, you can rent the, you can rent a place back for a year. Right. So I start going to work, trying to find a rental. So I open up my network and I get a photograph of a for rent sign, a call on the for rent sign. Guy calls me back three hours later. We spend over an hour on the phone having a conversation, not about the house that he's renting that he owns, but about parenting. Yeah. Of all things, he's got an 11 year old, 13 year old and 15 year old at home. And he's a he's a chief of staff at one of the one of the largest hospitals in our area. And he's asking me parenting advice. And I explained to him that the way I parented my kids was I asked questions. I didn't talk at my kids, so I didn't order mm -hmm. that rank. Right. What I did was I right. asked them questions. So I'll give you an example. When you're talking to somebody that's on the line at Rev and you're having a conversation with them about this. Ask him, ask him a question like, let me ask you a question. How many of these are produced every year? How many people will be in these each year? How long do these last? Right. Let him tell you those things. So it's coming out of his mouth and he's literally, because when it, when it comes out of their mouth, it's real. Yes. It's real. And I really, truly believe that a, a major power of differentiation is somebody's ability to pull things out of somebody else. Right. Yes. Ask them questions that then they're answering. That's basically reaffirming what it is that he's doing there and what his mission is. Right. Right. So 
Anyway, that's what he basically spent an hour telling me how brilliant it was that I'd raised my children the way I'd raised my children. But I just explained to him, I said, you know, if I walk into a room and I disagree with my children, it's very, very easy for me to say, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm in charge. You're going right. to do what I say. Okay. Versus right. being going, okay, so let me ask you a question. Why did you just answer me the way you did? Right. What's going on with you? What's holding you back? What is it that's, that's tripping you up? Talk to me. Right. Right. And what happens is even when they're teenagers and they never talk to you, right? They right. appreciate the fact that you're asking and human beings do too. They literally bury, they appreciate the fact that you care enough to ask. Right. Right. Yes. So that power of differentiation, I believe the power of questions can help yes. out a lot. So tell us about that book in terms of what you cover in the book, because it's, it's getting ready to be released, right? Right. Well, one thing I, I want to add on what you just said that I think is great. You're correct. But here's one thing I'll add to what you're saying. We need to let our employees know that information as well. Not so much tell them what they're doing and why it's important. But as an example, that that gentleman on the line did not know that 100,000 people were protected yeah. in there. He yeah. didn't know. He didn't know there were 4,000 accidents a year. And we as leaders, we have to express to our teams, here's what's going on. And yeah. this is what we're doing because that that person there, that young guy could be the greatest cheerleader. Absolutely. But we have to let people know because it's not understood. And one more thing I think that's interesting, and this is in the book, is it's not only important to let people know what they're doing is important and what the purpose is and the why behind why we do what we do, but we have to do it often, yeah. every day. And it's not a formal thing. Uh, I'll have clients that go, you know, we're going to have a big all-employee all meeting in six months, and we're going to tell everybody this and that. And I'll go, you know, that's great. How about today? Yeah. Well, we don't have a big meeting today. Well, you have a bunch of small ones. How about yeah. let people know on all that? So uh, your question on the book, the book is, one thing about the book that I think is uh, important to mention is it's not about me or my life. It's not my story. It's the story of many, many different companies and leaders um, and how they tackled differentiating what they did so that their employees owned it and their customers stepped up and, and bought the product. And in many cases, it's stories of leaders working with people in their company as they all started to believe deeply in what they were bringing to the table. Yeah. Um, it's a story also of discovery. So I'll give you an example. You brought up uh, your children. The, the, a good example to look at is for all of us to look at our children. And if you want to look at differentiation, it's perfect in that way because you may have one child who is a great athlete. Mm -hmm. You may have another child who is a really deep thinker. Now, if you take that deep thinker and you beat into that person that he or she needs to be an athlete, even if the person has, the child has some talent, you're going to frustrate them and they're not going to feel good about themselves. Absolutely. If you identify what 
they do well, meaning discover. You don't try to shoehorn them in. You don't right. say, look, darn it. I was a professional athlete and doggone it, you're going to be a professional. No. Yeah. If that kid is a very, very deep thinker, a brilliant mind, and he or she just doesn't care that much about sports, maybe is good enough to play a little bit. The best thing we can do for our children, the best thing we can do for our careers or our companies is discover what is unique. Absolutely. And support it. Yeah, I totally Build agree. on it. I totally and you agree. Know what? And this is a big word, celebrate it. Yeah. Celebrate. You did this. Yep. This is what's great. Um, I used to coach uh, kids sports because I'm a cheerleader type, not because I'm athletic. Me and too. my <laughs> my son was a really great athlete and he played uh, D2 baseball and was a great pitcher, starting pitcher. Great. But I would coach his teams and my daughter's teams and we would have celebrations at the end of each year and each kid would win their own special award. It could be for best defense. It could be fastest on the team, whatever. But we identified what they did well. And by the way, I had teams that lost a lot of games. We had teams that did pretty well. It wasn't one, it wasn't on the one loss, win-loss record. It was all on the uniqueness of each individual child in that case. Yeah, celebrate their strengths. So one of the things that I never did when our kids were growing up is I never told them that they had to do anything. Right. I let them decide what they wanted to do, but I made sure that they were clear on what our standard was. Yeah. So if you start it, if you choose to do it and you start it, you have to finish it and you have right. to finish it to our standard. Right. right. And so my daughter got into cheerleading. She went out for cheerleading her fr before her freshman year in high school. Yeah. I followed up with the coach who I happen to know, followed up with the coach. And I said, how'd she do? And she said, well, Madison, my girl was here and everybody else was down here. Uh -huh. Okay. A big, yeah. huge, huge split between the right. She said she could be the captain of our team now as a freshman, as an incoming freshman. So she went, the coach goes to my daughter and says, I want to make you the captain of the cheer team. And my daughter says, I'm a freshman. There are other cheerleaders here who have been here longer than I have. I'm going to pass, make them a captain. They've earned it. Mm -hmm. How amazing is that? That's wonderful. I mean, I have some of the highest quality mm -hmm. kids you've ever met in your life, right? Right. So Michael decides at the end of eighth grade, we get summer of eighth grade, going into ninth grade, he comes to us and tells us that he wants to go out for football. And he could you could have knocked his mother and I over with a feather. We are huge football fans. His right. mother and I are. We were season ticket holders with the Chargers, the whole thing. Michael was never really a football fan. He didn't even watch it on television. We're like, are you sure? Right. Yeah. Okay. And I had to ask him, I said, is there a girl involved? Because you know, every stupid thing I ever did growing up, there was a girl involved, right? That I was trying to express. And he goes, no, dad, there's no girl involved. Turned out his best friend, who's still his best friend today, wanted to go out for football and asked him to go with him. So they went out for football together. So Michael goes, goes out for football. He's in two-a-days for a week. 
right? They call it H-E double hockey sticks week, right? Yes. He knew at the end of the 10th, at the the end of the 10th practice on Friday, he was going to need his dad. So I went and picked him up. I picked him up in my brand new Ford F-150 and he slammed the door getting in the truck. And I have a thing about slamming doors. Okay. But especially my brand new truck slams the door. Okay. What's wrong? Dad, I'm mad. Okay. They just told me that I'm the backup right guard. I don't want to be a backup right guard. I want to be a tight end. I want to be a linebacker. I want to be a wide receiver. I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever played organized tackle football before? He said, no. I said, you think your coaches know that? He goes, well, yeah. I said, okay, here's how I see it. Got two options. One is you can keep whining and you can ride the bench the entire season. Or Monday, when you go back to practice, you can strap your helmet on and you can hit the guy across from you in the mouth. Next play, hit him harder. Next play, hit him harder. Show them through your efforts, not your mouth, through your efforts that you're ready for promotion. Monday, I go to pick him up at at practice. The varsity coach, who I'm still friends with today, comes clear across the the field. Mr. Litton, Mr. Litton, Mr. Litton. Yeah? Who's that? I said, that's my son, Michael. He goes, well, he doesn't play like him. What (laughs) happened between Friday and today? I said, well, we had a talk. He said, keep talking to him. (laughs) So he's a freshman, never played organized tackle football before, playing JV. By his fourth game, he had been elected captain of the team, starting right guard, starting linebacker, starting special teams. They have very few kids, so they had to play Ironman football. Okay. Right. Just in and of itself, something that you, when you watch it, it just blows your mind, right? Especially if you played like I did, right? Because we had plenty of kids in Oklahoma. So, they go all the way through the season. They get to the end of the season. They promote Michael to varsity. He's a freshman, mind you. They promote right. him to varsity for their first ever playoff game. He's starting special teams. Plays right. the game. They lose. We're on our way home. And I said, Michael, are you pumped up about next season? And he goes, nope. And I said, why is that? And he said, I, Dad, I don't want to play football anymore. Okay. He said, playing football this year made me love basketball even more. I want to play basketball full-time if that's okay. So, of course, it's okay, right? Right. And he said, but I knew our standard, and I knew how how I had to finish. Yep, that's great. amazing? I love it. It was just incredible. It was absolutely incredible. But it came from that frustration, right? And it was one of those things where we literally never told them they had to do a single thing. They just chose what they wanted to do, gave them the standard, and they not only reached the standard, oftentimes they exceeded it. That's great. And my son was a great junior golfer. And when he was nine years old, he and I went out playing one day, he got a hole in one at at nine years old. That's so cool. And within a month, he goes, I want to quit golf. I'm so frustrated. And I said, why? He said, because I want to have a hole in one every hole. And I get, you can't do that. It's not possible. He said, I want to play baseball. And I said, well, if you're going to play baseball, that's great, but you got to do your best. Yeah. That's it. I said, I don't care if you are the best, but you got to be the best you can be. Right. And he said, I can do that. And yeah. same kind of thing. It's, right. But you can't just dabble and then leave when it doesn't feel good. And he stayed in baseball for, I don't know, eight more years, however many more years, now 15 more years. Yeah, and that was his, that was the love of his life till he met his girlfriend, of course. Exactly. Yeah. So my son was the MVP in his, for his high school football team or basketball team, pardon me. He was yeah. the MVP his junior and senior year. So uh, wow. loved basketball and did really, really well. 
So it's incredible. Okay. So let's talk about the book a little more if we could. Sure. So the people that are going to want to read this book is pretty much anybody who wants to succeed in business and in life. Yeah, it's a, it's all about if if you have any interest in identifying what makes you unique, what makes what you do, offer, sell, et cetera, unique, and you want to motivate and inspire the people who are on your team, that's what this book is about. Yeah. It is a very positive book. You know, sometimes you read these books and it's, you know, it's, uh, oh, these people were stupid and I was great and I saved them. It's not that kind of a book. It's a it's a book of some really great examples yeah. of how what might seem unattractive or uninteresting was made fascinating. Yeah. You know, how one company in with a lot of competition, like in your field, Mike, as an example, people selling real estate, that house that somebody is selling is the same house somebody else is going to sell. Yeah. How do you differentiate yourself? I mean, what do you bring to the table? How can you identify something within you that that customer goes, wow, yeah. that made a difference. And so what the book is about is all about those examples. And it gets into some granular examples as to, uh, for instance, in photography, if you're doing photography of your, of your team or yourself, how do you position yourself in that? How do you use technology? What about the words you use? You know, there are 200,000 words in the English language. 200,000. And how often do we hear the same garbage words used over and over and over again? They mean nothing. Amen. So if you start to describe what you do, either as an individual or as a company, do you, you use the same stinking words? Do you say, oh, we're all about value? Mm -hmm. Oh, we're all about cost. We're uh, Come on, get rid of those words, those cliches, Absolutely. and get into words that mean something. Well, words you. mean everything. They do. Words, words create worlds. Yeah. And we have to realize that in part of how we can set ourselves apart is in the words we use about what we are and what we stand for. Totally agree. Totally agree. And when you speak it, it's real. Right. That's why the power yeah. of questions is such a big deal, because you can pull things from people that when they say it, it's real. Like, I'm sure you've experienced this where somebody has had something that they've kept inside and it's festered forever and they finally let it out. And then as soon as they let it out, they sort of relax and their shoulders right. drop and they just look almost euphoric. And then they'll right. look at you and go, you know, it doesn't seem as big now that I said it. Right. That's right. why, yeah. that's why I'm after people all the time to deep, go deep, find where the pain is. Right. So ask questions that help you. We do it. We do it with piggyback questions. Right. But ask questions that help you dig to where you find the pain that your client is having. Let them express it to you. And that will bond you with them because you care enough to ask. You care enough to ask enough to get right. to that place. And once you get to that place and once they get it off their chest, they feel better. They just right. I'll feel better and they'll never forget what you did for them. Well, one thing that's in the book is we have a chapter on what we call jamming, like a music jam, a yeah. jam session. And my company, because of my musical background, we conduct jam sessions with clients. So Mike, this piggybacks off everything you're saying. When we do a jam session with a client, 
and, the, and their team. And we've done, we'll do about a hundred a year. So we do a lot of jam sessions. The first thing we do is we describe what a jam is and we say, what's the most important thing in a jam? And few people understand what it is and it's right. listening. Yeah. Listening. So if you think about it, if you can recall a music jam, let's say somebody's playing lead guitar and somebody's playing piano, okay? That piano player plays some melody. Well, that guitarist needs to listen to that person's melody to then respond. Now, if that guitarist is not paying attention and is not listening, that guitarist is going to go do something else. And if that piano player is not listening, that is called garbage. Right. That is called noise. So one thing that's you're talking about listening, one thing that is so important if you want to collaborate is listening. You must listen to be able to share something and piggyback off of what other people are saying so that you can create something great. And that's what you're doing. That's with your questions. You're listening and you're offering up a suggestion and your, your customer is then giving you feedback and listening and you're giving them feedback. In essence, you're conducting a jam session and you're creating a brand new idea that had never existed prior. That's yeah. how a song is created. I love it. I absolutely love it. And you know, it's interesting because conversation nowadays is I'm speaking and you're you're trying to think about what you're going to say next. That's right. actually the textbook definition of a debate. And I can tell yes. you that because I was one of the best debaters in the nation when I was in school. That's a debate. A conversation is you're speaking and I'm listening to what it is that you're saying, right? And then I may ask you about something that you just said. Does that make sense? Right. So I may yes. ask you, so tell me in a jam session, right? How is it that you do what you do this way in a jam, right? And it's yes. it's literally me asking you a more specific question about what it was that you just said. We call it active listening. Yes. But it's a way for people to understand that you care enough to listen and then you care enough to ask about what you what they just said. Well, to give you an example, many of, of your listeners may be in these situations. Um, you're in a, a meeting, let's say it's in a, a, a conference room and there's a half dozen or a dozen people talking and they're going back and forth and they're talking about, hey, we could do this. Hey, well, we could do that. Hey, whatever. And then about half an hour into it, one person raises his hand and he goes, hey, here's an idea. What about blank? Mm -hmm. And somebody turns to him and says, we talked about that 20 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. And the reality is he, the person who blurted that out wasn't listening prior. He was getting ready so that he could be heard. That's it. And that's not our goal. Right. Our goal is to listen and not try to go horn, shoehorn ourselves in and make noise. Yeah. We've got to be able to contribute. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And if you're asking them, right, if they're if you're asking them questions, it's engaging them. Right. And I'm absolutely convinced of this. We are programmed to answer questions out of the womb. And if you don't think so, go find yourself a newborn, put them in your arms, look them in the eye and ask them a question. They will look right at you. They will focus right on you. Go find a toddler that's throwing a temper tantrum. All you have to do is walk up to them and ask them what happened. They'll stop crying. They'll forget what it was that they were. It completely interrupts their pattern. And all of a sudden they're looking at you like, 
I don't remember why I was upset. It's literally, we are programmed to answer questions. And what happens is we can get people to focus and we can get people to engage by literally asking them questions. Yes. Well, my son, we talked about this. My son was a cesarean birth. I was there at his birth. The doctor got him out. He was screaming at the top of his lungs. The doctor handed him over to my wife and my wife said, hi, Alan. And he shut up and he was fine. And the doctor said, well, he knows his mama's voice. Yeah. We are programmed to listen. Yeah, I promise you. I promise you we are. Yeah, I've experienced it too. That's awesome. So let yeah. me ask you that. I can't wait to read this book, by the way. So when is it going to be available for pre-order? Or do we know? Um, um, it will be available for pre-order early March. Okay. About March 1st. Okay. And um, Simon & Schuster is readying it right now. So, you know, you can't rush some of these publishing companies. Oh, I got but you. I got you. That's I what happens. You. Yeah. I'm super excited though. I'm I'm ready to read it now. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. And I'll tell you, I really love your show. And I think the message you bring is so positive and powerful. I thank you for that, Mike. I think it's fantastic. I appreciate you, sir. I cannot thank you enough from the bottom of my heart for being here. I have thoroughly enjoyed every minute that we've had together. Thank you again for being our guest on the Mike Litton experience. I, I'm super excited to talk to you again. So I'm sure I'm sure we'll be getting together many, many more times. Barry LaBeouf, thank you. I cannot thank you enough. You bet. And um, the website for my company is L-A-B as in boy, O-V. So it's L-A-B-O-V.com. So if you go there, you'll see information on the book. And when it is available for pre-order, it will be right there at LaBeouf.com. LaBeouf.com. I love it. Thank you, yep. buddy. Have a great All day right. today. An amazing weekend. Thank okay. You. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.